Welcome to the First E Podcast, where you can find sermons, messages, encouragement, and hope in a world of uncertainty and fear. May the God of peace fill you with love and hope, and may the hope of God overflow into the world. Good morning. Well, let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get into God's Word. Father, we thank you for the time that we have this morning to open your Word. We pray that you might speak to our hearts, especially about reconciliation, the willingness to humble ourselves and admit uh, what we've done that's wrong, and our willingness to not hold a grudge and to offer forgiveness and acceptance to the one who's asking for reconciliation. Father, we pray that you'd speak to our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read Psalm 34, and hopefully I'll remember to read it at the end, because it'll mean something different, I think, when we get to the end of the message. Psalm 34, verse 4, I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and delivers them. Well, that's Psalm 34. Of course, we're in Genesis, embracing the call of God. Genesis 32, and we're starting with uh, verse 1. It says, Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. Mahanaim means two camps. And so right away, our story gets off to uh, an unusual start, right? Jacob is coming back to the promised land, and he meets angels. God has sent his messengers. Now, this is, this is an important thing that's taking place. This phrase, uh, messengers of God or angels of God, the way that it's worded here, only happens two places in the entire Old Testament. That's here and when Jacob was running away from home in fear of his life. Uh, you might remember that Jacob had disguised himself as his brother Esau. He had tricked his dad out of the blessing His brother was rightly angry about that. His brother was determined to kill Jacob, and that's why Jacob left home. And he ran away. He was out in the middle of the wilderness. He had nothing, and he had a vision at night, a ladder with angels going up and down, and God made promises to him, and he promised to be with him. That's the other place where it says messengers of God or angels of God, just these two places, there and here. And so something unusual is happening. And Jacob sees it and names the place Two Camps. And this idea of two camps has a couple of ways of thinking about it. One is that Jacob has a family that has two camps, Leah and her kids and her maidservant, and Rachel and her kids and maidservant, two camps. It also has the idea of God's camp and my camp, those two camps. It means both things. And we'll see in the story that It's important that Jacob reconciles with God, that he has an encounter with God and he's good to go with God, and that he reconciles with his brother. Both are important. There's two camps here, he and God, and eventually he and his brother. And so that's how our story starts. This this is a way of letting you know something significant is about to occur. So, God has sent his messengers out. Now Jacob is going to send his messengers out. So, you know, God is present, and he's going to help Jacob with reconciliation. So, 
Jacob talks about this. In verse 3, it says, Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant, Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, female servants. I have sent to tell my lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. So Jacob is sending messengers to his brother. And notice how Jacob describes himself. How does he describe himself? I'm a servant. And how does he he describe Esau? My Lord. Jacob is intent on reconciling with his brother. And his language shows it. Esau, you're the older. You're my Lord. I'm the servant. He's speaking the language of reconciliation. He wants to find favor or grace in the sight of his brother. Now, I'm going to say that for some of you here or some of you watching at home right now or some of you who three months from now, you're searching for a cat video and somehow this sermon comes up for some strange reason. You know how YouTube does that? What does this have to do with what I'm searching for? Maybe that's why you're here. This may be the message you need. This is the, this is the key message that you need to hear today from the whole book of Genesis is reconciliation. Whether it's because you have wronged someone, you have sinned against them, you have hurt them, and you need to take on the serious attitude that Jacob does in order to put things right, or you're the person who has been wronged, like Esau. You're the one who has been hurt. You're the one who has been sinned against, and you need to let go of the grudge that you've been holding and be willing to reconcile. This may be the message you need to hear, maybe all year long. And how, how do I know that? Why do I say that so forcefully? Well, because I'm a pastor, and I talk to people a lot. And I have found that lots and lots and lots of people have unfinished reconciliation to do, either because they have hurt someone or someone has hurt them. And some people are unwilling to do the hard work of reconciling, or they're completely unwilling to ever reconcile, even if it's God's will, they will not reconcile. And so this is the message maybe you need to hear. So, Jacob is hopeful. He sends out these messages. Um, and it says in the next section here, verse 6, And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you. Oh, good news. And there are 400 men with him. Oh, okay. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. So Esau is coming to meet him with 400 guys. Now, sometimes when people read this story, now the title of the message is Reconciliation, so you might have guessed there is some reconciliation that happens here. Sometimes people see all of the things that Jacob goes through, and they say, well, that was a waste of time. Esau was going to reconcile with him anyway. Really? Then why is he bringing 400 guys with him? Okay? (laughs) There's a reason why Esau is bringing 400 guys with him to meet his brother. For one thing, he knows his brother. And I think Esau has a little bit of that, fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice, shame on you. I don't know if I can trust my brother. I'm bringing some backup. So Esau's coming. Jacob is rightly afraid. The last time that he heard his brother's words, it was, I'm going to kill you. 
So he's afraid. He's distressed. And sometimes fear and being distressed can cause us to be totally paralyzed, like we don't move. Not Jacob. He starts moving. And he does the, uh, the bear thing here, right? You know, how do you get away from a bear? Well, you trip your friend, you keep running. <laughs> he creates two camps. If one is slaughtered, maybe the other will escape. I mean, that's the best he can do. What else can he do? He, he, you know, that's where he's at. So he, he has the distress of broken relationships. And when you're serious about trying to make things right, it can fill you with fear and trepidation. Jacob did not have to send messengers to his brother, so why does he? Well, if you were with us, you might remember that when Jacob was running away from home, after he had tricked his dad and stole from his brother, was running away, he realized how dumb that was, how he had ruined everything. And his one most important prayer was, God, somehow, if possible, can I return to my father's home in peace? I don't know how you could ever make that happen, but that's my prayer. Can you return me home in peace? This is why he's sending messengers out to his brother. He is serious about reconciling and making things right. And that can fill you with a lot of fear because you have no control over the other person, right? You might sincerely want to reconcile and they bring 400 people or a lawyer or a lawsuit or, you know, whatever. They have no interest in reconciling, so he's scared. Well, what does he do in verse 9? Well, he does what, you know, you should do in those situations. He prays. He prays for deliverance because who's the one that can do the impossible? God. What's the best that Jacob can do? Well, two camps. Maybe one of them will survive. He's hoping God has a better plan with better outcomes, so he prays. Verse 9, Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good, I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed the Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for a multitude. And so he he prays, and he is honest with God. God, I'm terrified. My life is at risk here. Uh, And he's humble. He says, I'm not worthy. Now, this man has had lots of people who have wronged him and lots of strife in his own family, and lots of disappointments. His life did not turn out the way he wanted it to. And yet, what does he say? He says, I am so blessed. Look at all the blessings in front of me. Look at all the, the cattle and the sheep. Look at my family. Look at all these children. I'm not worthy to have this blessing that you have given me. And he says to God, I have found you to be steadfast in your love and faithful. And then he's bold. And I want to say that sometimes Christians can be good at the humble part. I'm not worthy. I'm no good. Please help. And they're not as good with the bold part. So look at what Jacob says. You, you're the one who told me to come here. So what's up with that? <laughs> I mean, I'm only here because of you. You promised that my descendants would be as numerous as the sand on the seashore. So 
and you promised to be with me. So I'm, I'm trying to hold you to this, God. I found you to be faithful. Be faithful. Protect me. Do you see the combination of humility and boldness that he has? He is humble. I'm not worthy of all the blessings I have received. He knows that he's the one who has done wrong. He knows that. And yet he's bold. God, you promised to be with me, and now, now is when I need your help. Plus, you promised I would have lots of descendants. Not sure how that will work out if Esau comes and kills us all. <laughs> so I need your help here. And so he's humble and bold. And humility is something that will open the door to so many things. Letting go of the things that you count on for security, letting go of your own plans and schemes, letting go of your own ability, letting go, to, go of your sense of entitlement, letting go of all of that, and telling God, thank you for blessing me. I don't deserve the blessings. You are the one who is trustworthy. You are the one who I need to work in my life. Now, this is going to get him ready for a turning point in his life. And uh, this is important for us to pay attention to, this turning point. All of us at some point have this uh, come-to-Jesus moment, this place where it's just us and God. And this is, he's going to face this pretty soon. And I, I want to anticipate that and remind you of a story in the book of Acts in chapter 16. Paul is arrested for telling people about Jesus. He's put in prison. And through his time there in prison, the jailer sees the hand of God at work. You remember the earthquake? All the doors fly open, but no one leaves the jail. And the jailer asks Paul, what must I do to be saved? And this is the jailer's come to Jesus moment. He asks the question, what do I do to be saved? And Paul tells him, believe in Jesus and you will be saved. And so the jailer comes to faith and he is baptized and that is his come to Jesus moment. His life is not the same after that. Jacob is going to have that moment pretty soon. In the middle of reconciliation, he is going to come face-to-face with God and be changed forever. And that's what it means to be a believer, is that you have come to faith in Christ. Your sins have been forgiven because of his death on the cross. You have hope because he rose from the dead. You are not the same person. The Holy Spirit works in you, uh, changing you to become like you were meant to be. And so, be ready for that because that's coming. Now, you know, this turning point, You know, turning to God, that's the turning point. When you come to him without all of the excuses and your own plans and all of your own, you know, things you demand of him and all that kind of stuff, you come humble but bold in God's presence and ask for what he's promised. What has God promised you? Salvation through his son Jesus. You can come and pray boldly for that and ask for that boldly. Father, I am not worthy, but you have promised to save me based on your son, and I put my faith in him, and I claim that. And so, let's move on. So, humility opens doors. Chapter, uh, verse 13. Now, I want to say this before we look at this. You're going to see that Jacob is serious about reconciling. Now, reconciliation has to be more than just words. I remember, uh, maybe you've had this experience as a parent. One of your kids does something to the other kid. And you say, you need to tell your brother or sister you're sorry. And this is how they say it. Sorry! <laughs> right? Sorry! And you can tell they don't mean it. I mean, it's a start, right? Got to start somewhere. Uh, but at some point when your kids get older, you try to help them have the right attitude when they say the word sorry. Or you, you, you maybe hold off and say when you're ready to say you're sorry and mean it. You know, you need to think about this. 
and you're, you're aiming for the right attitude for them to say the words. And you're going to see Jacob is serious about I'm sorry. So here's verse 13. So Jacob stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, 10 male donkeys. That's 550 animals. So he's serious, okay? This is not a token gift. These he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, Pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to your servant, Jacob. They are present sent to my lord, Esau. Moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second, the third, and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, moreover, your servant, Jacob, is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. Now, cynical people might read this and say, well, Jacob's just trying to buy off his brother. No, he's not. He can't purchase what he wants, which is his brother's forgiveness, but... His attempt at reconciliation needs to show that he is serious. He can't just show up and say, sorry. Okay, it needs to be real. So he's got 550 animals in 10 different groups. 10 is a Bible number for a full or, you know, the whole number. And he tells each of these servants who are taking the animals, when you see Esau, what do you say? These animals are from my servant Jacob, or your servant Jacob, and they call Esau my Lord. Now, if Esau is going to hear ten times, Jacob is your servant, you're the Lord. Jacob is your servant, you're the Lord. Jacob is your servant, you're the Lord. Ten times he's going to hear that. Do you know what Jacob is trying to do? He is trying to give back the blessing that he stole. Because what was part of the blessing? Your brother will serve you. That's part of the blessing. And Jacob is saying, you know what? I'm your servant. You're the Lord. You're the older. That blessing belongs to you. I'm giving it back. I'm serious about this. I am sorry. I ripped you off. What I did was wrong. I am giving back what I took. That's what he's saying to his brother. He means it. And this is something that uh, if you're the person who has wronged someone, and God has moved in your heart, it is now time to reconcile, then your reconciliation, you can't buy it reconciliation, but you sure can do something that shows a serious attempt to put things right, that you really mean it. It comes out in the attitude of your words, some concrete action perhaps, that you really are interested in restoration. And this is why... The hard work of reconciliation often is not attempted because we know we can't control the other person. They might show up with 400 people to hurt us, so we're not interested. And even if we do try, it's going to cost us something, cost us our dignity, cost us our pride, cost us in some way to to make it right, and we don't want to pay. 
And so Jacob is serious about that. Now in verse 20 is a key word, the word face. Now, Jacob thought, I may appease him. That means to, to please his face. The word there actually means atonement. Appease is atonement, atone for the sin. Before his face, with the present that goes ahead of me, literally is before my face. And afterward, I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. Literally in Hebrew, accept me is lift the face. So in this verse, it has the word face, 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 face. Forgiveness is the word picture, lift my face. Because if you go in front of someone who you have hurt, what does your body language look like? And when the person forgives you, they lift your face so that you can see each other eye to eye. That's a signal that something is good, again, in the relationship. As parents, you've done that, maybe with your kids. They're in trouble, they hang their head, and you gently lift their face, and you tell them, it's okay. And then they know. Throughout the Psalms, that picture is used where God is the lifter of my face. It means that he comes and lifts my face and says, it's okay, I love you. And that's what Jacob desires, is to tell his brother that he's sorry and for his brother to lift his face and say, we are reconciled. That's his desire. So the word face is a key word. Now, we're going to enter um, one of the weirdest things that you'll read in the whole Bible, Jacob wrestling with God. Okay, there's just weird things in this story and things that are hard to explain. And I have to say that if someone meets God face to face, wouldn't there be some mystery involved in that? Wouldn't you expect things that are inexplicable, that even after it was over, you don't even know how to, I don't, I'm not even exactly sure how to explain that or what it means, but this is what happened. So that's what happens here. Verse 22, the same night Jacob arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jebek. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. You see, there comes a time in our life, maybe more than once, but certainly at least once, where everything is stripped away from us, and it's just us and God. You know, our spouse isn't there, or our kids, or our ministry team leaders, or our pastor, or our friend. It's just me and God, alone with God, because I need to work through things with God. I need to reconcile with God in order to reconcile with my brother or sister. And so Jacob meets with God, or God, God pursues Jacob. So, verse 24, Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. What? what? Where'd this guy come? What is happening? Uh, just all of, out of the blue, Jacob's by himself, and a guy comes up and attacks him, and they're wrestling all night long. Okay, well, what's happening? Who is this guy? When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go, for the day is broken. Okay, well, obviously this is not God, because if God wrestles with a person, he wins easily, right? But this says that he couldn't get away from Jacob, and he has to resort to some sort of wrestling move where he throws his hip out of socket, and he still can't get away. Even though he crippled Jacob, he can't get away, but he wants to leave. So this can't be God. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. Well, why is Jacob asking for a blessing? He's already been blessed by his father. 
What greater blessing could he have? Who is he desiring a blessing from? Verse 27, and he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men, and you have prevailed. Okay, well, all right, maybe this is God, because Jacob desires a blessing from him. Who else could this be? And who is it that changes names? God. Remember, your name shall not be Abram, but Abraham. And so the person Jacob is wrestling with says, I'm giving you a new name. You know, what is your name? Well, my name is Jacob. What does that mean? Heel grabber, trickster, deceiver. That's my name. That's who I am. God says, not anymore. Your name now is Israel. He who wrestles with God. Or it can also mean God fights for you. It could mean both things. God fights for you or he who wrestles with God and prevails. Meaning God is the most important thing to this person. That's your new name. El, E-L, El, that's the Hebrew word for God. So God puts God on his name, Israel. God puts his name on Jacob. So Jacob asked, well, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Now, if you, if you like stories, you have to ask yourself, well, in this part of the story, why is that how it ends? That today the people of you know, Israel do not eat this part of the animal. It seems like anticlimactic, doesn't it? Well, why even mention that? What would cause them to treat a part of the animal's body as so holy they won't eat it? Because that's where God touched Jacob. So this is God. I'm really confused now. How can God wrestle with someone and not get away? That's the mystery that is here. The things that make sense don't make sense. But that's what an encounter with God is like. You're not sure sometimes exactly how to explain everything that happened, but you know you're a different person. Jacob leaves this encounter with God a different person. He's no longer Jacob, he is Israel. He's changed. He's not the deceiver, he's the person who struggles with God, the person who God fights for. That's who he is. Changed person. And in our desire for reconciliation with others, we need to meet with God. And there are things that he needs to speak into our life and change us from. Now, I'll mention this is a significant thing that's going on here. Do you think maybe Esau cursed his brother? Yeah, I'm going to kill that guy. As soon as dad dies, I'm going to kill my brother. I curse his name, right? Well, that curse is canceled now. You know why? There is no more Jacob. There's Israel. There's no curse that can find anyone to attach itself to because... This man has encountered God and has his name changed. He's a new individual. The curse loses its power. Just like when you came to faith in Christ. And the New Testament says, in Christ you became a new creature. The curse has no power over you. You are a new creature. The idea of a new name, that's even in the Bible. In Revelations chapter 2, it talks about how God gives us a name that no one knows except us and God. 
written on a white stone. I don't even know what that means. It just sounds cool. It's like, man, God writes a new name for me on a white stone, and only he and I know what it is, and I have this memory. That sounds awesome. I can't wait to get that. And then in chapter 3, it says, those of us who are saved uh, because we put our faith in Christ, God puts his name on us, and Jesus puts his name on us, much like God said, your name is Israel, he who struggles with God. We receive the name of God and Jesus on us. We are followers of Jesus. We're Christians. And it's a beautiful thing. We're new people, new creation. God puts his name on us. And this is the, what happened as Jacob encountered God. And he was really changed to the core of his being, this man. So, wrestling with God. We can become a new person. 2 Corinthians 5.17 talks about we're new creation in Christ. So, reconciling with the brother. Well, chapter 33, uh, verse 1. And Jacob lifted up his eyes. In Genesis, when it says someone lifts up their eyes, it means something significant is being seen. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, and he put the servants with their children in front, and Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. So Esau, I mean Jacob, divides his family up so that um, in the very back is Rachel, the wife he loves, and Joseph, the son he loves the most. I'm sorry to say there's still favoritism in this family. It does not go away, even though the man has changed, even though he has a new name, even though he is truly repentant. There's still favoritism. And you know, that's true of you and I. We come to faith in Christ. Our sins are forgiven. We have eternal life. We have the promise of living in God's presence forever. The Holy Spirit lives in us, and yet we are not perfect. But I want you to notice something. He divides his family up, but where is Jacob? He's in front He's going to be the first person to meet his brother. As he's, not, he's not going to send his family out first. He's going to be there. And what does he do? He bows seven times. Then verse 4, Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes, Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and the children. He said, who are these with you? Jacob said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, and they and their children bowed down. Leah, likewise, and her children drew near, and they bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, to find favor or grace in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, no, please, if I have found favor or grace in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. Thus he urged him, and Esau took it. Well, you'll notice that Jacob is serious about giving the blessing back with the gift of animals, with calling Esau his lord, with his whole family bowing down, he himself bows down seven times. Remember, the blessing that he stole said, your brother will bow down to you. And here, Jacob and his entire family has bowed down to Esau and called him Lord. He is serious about reconciliation and making things right. 
as much as he can on his, on his part. And Esau is standing there with his 400 guys. Jacob has no control over what Esau will do, right? What could Esau do with his 400 guys? Kill them all. He has no control over that. Who must he trust? God. God told me to come here. God told me it's time to reconcile. God said he would be with me. I'm pretty terrified. I'm trusting God. That's the hard thing. If you've hurt someone, it's difficult to reconcile. Take, take the story here as a, as a motivation to put yourself out there and, and realize that just because Esau is going to respond the way he does doesn't mean the person you're attempting to reconcile will respond well. It does not mean that. It doesn't. But taking the risk is certainly um, important for us as believers. So, he says, seeing the face of his brother is like seeing the face of God. Well, this is a deep biblical concept. Jesus taught this. If you're at the altar and you have your offering, right, and your brother has something against you, what do you do? Leave the altar, which is like freaks us out. Wait a minute. You, it, wouldn't God be offended? You're in the middle of worshiping and you leave that and you go reconcile with your brother first. This is because our relationship Our love to our brother and our love for God is one. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, one command. They're one. In 1 John, what does John talk about? This is chapter 4. If you say you love God and you hate your brother, you don't know what you're talking about. You can't have love for God and then hatred towards your brother. They don't, that doesn't work. You don't have control over their attitude or their willingness or whatever. You don't. But this refusal to reconcile with your brother, this this holding on to hatred, that's not the way of Christ. Um, In the musical um, Les Miserables, I think it's about the last thing that Jean Valjean sings. To love another person is to see the face of God. That's this concept right here. Seeing your face is like seeing the face of God, says Jacob. Reconciling with you uh, is testament to having reconciled my life with God. I mean it when I say I'm sorry. And he, his brother says, I don't need all of this stuff. And Jacob insists, you, you need to take it. Because what does Jacob need to know? He needs to know that he is fully accepted. And if Esau receives this sincere offer... Jacob is, con- is convinced. This is, we're good. Now, Jacob, of course, doesn't have to, I mean, Esau doesn't have to respond the way he does. And I'm going to read his response again. Verse 4, Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and wept. What do those verbs remind you of a story that Jesus told? ran to them, embraced him, fell on his neck, kissed him, wept. Prodigal son. Huh. I wonder if Jesus took all of those terms from this story. Because this is a story about an older son being willing to be reconciled to his brother who had wronged him. Hey, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? That is the prodigal son's story. A younger brother wrongs an older brother. And he comes back and he is sincerely 
repentant. And how does the father greet him? Runs to him, embraces him, falls on his neck, kisses him, weeps. Well, here it's the older brother who comes and offers that reconciliational hug and kiss. And of course, what was Jesus? When he told the story of the prodigal son, how does it end? It ends with the older son, you know, you know, well, your boy, you know, not my brother, but your boy is back, and I'm not sure why you would even let him in the house. His story ends with the older son unwilling to reconcile. That's how the prodigal son's story ends. And it's almost, it's almost like Jesus is telling the Pharisees, can't you at least be as spiritual as Esau, you guys? Can't you at least be as good as Esau was at reconciliation, at recognizing true repentance and embracing the one who has wronged you because they're sincerely repentant? And to say it a little more forcefully, can't you accept what God has done in the life of the one who wronged you? God would say, this is the one who I promised to be with, Jacob. He's a changed person. I have given him a new name. I have committed myself to blessing him. What's your problem? I know that he wronged you. Don't you see how sincere he is in asking for forgiveness and reconciliation? Do you see that? Do you see that my blessing goes with him, my hand goes with him? You need to respond. And the sad thing is that some believers are stuck right here. They are the ones who have been wronged. And there's no doubt. I mean, there's just no question. They are the ones who have been wronged. It's not a question of them having wronged anybody. They are the ones who have been lied to and mistreated and deceived and treated badly and stole from. All the wrong has come their way from the other person. But now, even though God has worked in the life of their brother or sister or coworker or spouse and changed them and given them a new name and saved them and redeemed them, and blesses them, and goes with them, they stand back and say, I don't care. I'm holding on to my grudge. I'm holding on to my hatred. I've got my 400 guys. We're taking them out. And that's why Jesus told the story of the prodigal son to get to that person. Right there, the older brother who would not reconcile. That's what the purpose of the story is for the older one who has been wronged to be more like God who embraced and kissed. And you talk about difficult, that is really difficult. How can you do something like that? How can you offer forgiveness and reconciliation to someone who has wronged you? This is the thing that this is the work of God. What does the New Testament say? Christ was in the world reconciling us to himself, to God. And we are given the work of reconciliation. That's our work. And it's difficult work. It's serious work, it's di- and, but this is what's going on in this family. Now, I'm going to bring the story to conclusion here because there's another thing that's going on here as well. Uh, putting God first. So, what's going to happen here? Well, I'll just read it. Um, verse 12. Esau said, let us journey on our way and I will go ahead of you. But Jacob said, my Lord knows that the children are frail, that the nursing flocks and the herds... Um, are a care to me, if they are driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant, and I will lead on slowly to the place of the livestock that are ahead of me, to the place of the children, until I come to my Lord in Sierra. So Esau said, let me leave with you some of my people who are with me. 
But he said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day to Seir. But Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is Succoth, which means booth, the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, comes from that, that word. This bothers people because it, 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 what, this is what it feels like. Really? Jacob has met God face to face and had his name changed. He's a new person. He just reconciled with his brother, and now it seems like he's being really deceitful. That makes me angry. That's one way to read this story. I'd like to suggest to you another way to see what's going on here. Jacob is really deeply moved that he and his brother have reconciled. So Esau is generous and says, come stay at my place. And Jacob is politely trying to find a way to say no. And you might wonder why. They're reconciled. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Well, let me tell you something. For one thing, this is a basic principle. Just because you reconcile with someone doesn't mean you have to go live at their house. Okay? Their their relationship as brothers doesn't have to go back to the way it was. They don't have to go back and live with dad. Mom is dead, by the way. They don't have to go back and live with dad like they were when they were 10 and pretend to be, you know, little kids. And that time is gone. Whatever that was is what happened, and it's gone. And you might say, well, if they were truly reconciled, wouldn't they go live in the same place and, you know, hang out all the time? Not necessarily. This is an important thing, I think, for people to know. You can reconcile with someone. You can put things behind you, and you can see the hand of God at work, and you don't have to pretend like nothing ever happened, live together all the time, change your entire life to fit the other person. You don't have to do that. That didn't happen here. What's going on here is this. Esau is inviting Jacob to leave the promised land because Seir is in the land of Edom, not the promised land. Why is Jacob even here? Because God told him to return to the promised land. So for him to, as soon as he reconciles with his brother, leave the promised land, he would be in disobedience of what God wants. He can't go and be with his brother. He would be disobeying God. His brother pushes a little. Well, let me leave some of the guys. They can at least protect you and show you where I live. Esau is just genuinely... I think he's just friendly, like, well, let me help you. And Jacob is trying really hard to find a polite way to say no. And you might wonder, well, why can't he just be open about it? Well, here's why. You're going to find yourself in a situation in life just like this at some point. Can you picture Jacob saying this to his brother Esau right now? Well, my brother... Even though I am trying to give back the blessing and call you my Lord, actually God has given me that blessing, and I'm the one who is the Lord, and you're the servant, and the blessing goes with me, and the promised land, that's mine because I have that blessing, and all the world will be blessed through my descendants, not yours, and I have to obey God, which means I can't go with you because you don't live in God's land. How do you think that would go over? All those things are true. True, 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 true. Can't you see Jacob saying, oh my goodness, how do I explain all of this? How do I say God wants me in this land because he's promised it to my family and you don't live in the promised land and 
God is blessing you, but you don't have the blessing, which is the whole issue between us, which we just resolved. How do I say all of that? Instead, he says, that sounds great. It'd be wonderful to be at your place sometime. You go on. Do you see him trying to find a way to have the separation, but not bring up what they just reconciled? And at some point in your life, you'll be right there. You have just worked out a reconciliation, and then you have to work hard not to bring up stuff that's true, but to what point do you bring it up? You just need to separate now that you have reconciled because your life together with your brother or your sister or your spouse or your coworker or, or whoever that you've reconciled with means that you each have your separate life. You are reconciled. You've dealt with God. You've dealt with each other. You've put behind you past wrongs and hatred. There is forgiveness, and yet you live in separate places and you have your own lives. And it's not like when you were kids growing up together. That time was what it was, and it's gone. Because that's the way life is. All of that is happening in this conversation. And it is not just Jacob being a jerk anymore. He is trying to be the nicest guy he can possibly be while he serves God with his whole heart and doesn't want to re-hurt his brother who he has just reconciled with. That's what's happening in this conversation. It's like code talk. When people are talking code to one another and they know what they're saying without actually saying the thing, it's that kind of thing. All right. So, one more thing to say, putting, uh, well, we talked about putting God first, but uh, here at the end, we can see that Jacob is serious about putting God's will first. Verse 18, Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan. If you want to go back and read chapter 12, this is where Abraham built an altar in Shechem, way back in chapter 12. On his way from Padan Aram, and he camped before the city, and from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought a hundred pieces of money, a piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. And there he erected an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. So Jacob is serious about planting himself in the land that God has promised. He purchased property. And Shechem is fairly close to the middle of the promised land, so he's set on being here where God wants him to be, committed to it. He bought property, and he sets up an altar and acknowledges that God has answered the prayer that he gave. Father, if you somehow could bring me back to my dad's house in peace. Well, he's met with his brother. The peace with his father is coming. coming, It's coming. And so God is answering his prayer. He has been with him, and he builds an altar, and he worships God. Now, the name of the altar is El Elohe Israel. El is the Hebrew word for God. So this occurs three times. El Elohe Israel. God, the God of, the one who wrestles with God. In other words, he is totally serious, completely and utterly committed his life to God. And God has answered his prayer and been faithful and loyal to him. But his life has been rough, right? If you look at your life and you have been wronged and you've been cheated and you have cheated and wronged others and there has been breakdown in the family and all sorts of conflict and you've, had, you've, been, you've gone through fear and distress and you, you, you know, all of those kind of things, Jacob has gone through that and he has come to the place where he has found that God keeps all of his promises. God is loving. God is faithful. And he builds an altar God, the God of, 
and his brand new name, Israel, the one who changed me and made me new. And so this is a story about reconciliation. Now I'm going to read Psalm 34, which I read at the beginning. It might sound different now. Verse 4, I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Let's go ahead and stand and...